Today on Ag News Daily. We're importing seed from India and Australia and uh, Central America that can't be grown in America efficiently like Lab Lab. Happy Friday, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by my co-hosts, Mike Pearson and Ashton Carr. It is a Friday indeed. I'm kind of glad it's Friday, to be honest. But uh, how are you guys doing this today? What are you doing this weekend? You got any big plans? I don't yet. Still kind of actually kind of playing by ear, seeing what all is going on in the wide world of whatever to figure something out to do. I tell you, it's weird. Ordinarily on a weekend like this one, I'd be out there cutting hay, but this is the uh-huh. second year in a row. I'm not doing that. It just feels bizarre. Do you miss it though, really? Because I don't think I would. Oh, no, I love making hay. I mean, oh. making hay and spreading manure are my two <laughs> all-time favorite activities. Okay. That's that's they're, fair. They're magical. And but, the smells well. But you're baling hay. hay. You're doing like round bales. You're not doing like little square bales that you gotta throw oh, up on a trailer. Right. No idiot blocks for me. Round yeah. bales all the way. <laughs> How about you, Ashton? Big plans this weekend? I'm actually gonna go visit some of my friends in Oklahoma. One of my friends goes to the University of Oklahoma, so I'm gonna go up to Norman visit her and then I might stop by Beef Expo in Stillwater on Sunday while I'm at it. Mm, all right. Well, if you do, you'll have to take some pictures, maybe grab an interview for us. It's it's nice oh, to have absolutely. you down there because you're kind of bringing a new perspective of agriculture to our listeners. So I love that. Absolutely. I really love it too. And I'm being exposed to so much, not being from the corn belt or up around you guys. So it's a nice little exchange of information. Speaking of exchange of information, I was reading an article today about a woman in the dairy industry doing research on disbudding. Do you guys know what disbudding Hmm. is? I don't. Okay. So neither did I, but it's another word for dehorning cattle. And so we always called it dehorning. And I believe she's working with University of Michigan or University of Wisconsin, somewhere up there. And so I was like, well, I don't know if they call it that up north. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to have to ask Delaney and Mike if they even know what disbudding is. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, we always called it dehorning on on the farm. Yeah. So I, I think disbudding is a more technical term. Oh, okay. I think like I, I've, if I've heard it, it's from a veterinarian. Hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Does make sense. Well, Delaney, what headlines are you watching today as we head into the weekend? Well, you know, I'm sure you picked up on this headline today, too. But the unemployment rate came in today substantially lower than I think what a lot of people were expecting to see. I heard rumors or I suppose uh, guesses that we were going to see about 20 percent unemployment rate. We actually came in in about, uh, what, 13 percent just over? 13.7%. Yeah, analysts were anticipating. I think the average guess was 19.5. So to come in almost a full seven points below it, or six points below it, rather, my math is bad. Very surprising, Delaney. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think it makes sense as businesses are becoming reopened. Obviously, people are going to have things to do, places to go back well, to work to. I think what kind of took folks by surprise is this is the May unemployment rate. So we're looking at data as of the end of May, and there were Mm. very few reported reopenings by the end of May. And so I think, I think, and I'm in this camp, and I think a lot of other analysts were as well, the June unemployment, we're expecting to see those kind of numbers as, you know, Texas was fully open, Tennessee was open, Georgia was open, Iowa had opened up, you know, some businesses in Illinois, and most states by June 1st were starting to relax some of the restrictions. But in May, things were still pretty well locked out, and unemployment claims kept jumping week after week. So I 
My gut feeling is that this number will be revised downward in substantial in you know, subsequent months. But as of right now, holy cow, Dow Jones up 871 points. We're mm-hmm. recording at about 1:30 on Friday. Yeah, I saw that too. After that, that uh, came out. I think the Dow jumped like 900 points. It did. It was up 975 at one point yeah. when I was watching earlier today. So yeah, it is definitely a bullish day in the equity markets. Unfortunately, that hasn't carried on to the ag commodities, which we'll get to in just a little bit. So, you know, hold on to your pants, everybody. But uh, Ashton, are there any headlines you're keeping an eye on today? Actually, yes, I'm keeping an eye out on a headline out of Missouri. So lawmakers are saying that Missouri needs a beef packing plant and two Missouri state lawmakers testified at a hearing in Jefferson City last week that efforts are being taken to open a beef slaughter facility in the state. And retailers, grocers, and meat wholesalers are interested in a Missouri beef facility and participated in a conference call with state rep- representatives last week. And State Representative Dan Shaw says that consumers in Missouri are wanting locally raised and harvested products, which doesn't really come to a, as a surprise to me, at least, because I feel like consumers are getting more and more interested in where their products come from. Um, and supporters of this proposal are hoping to get a working group together by July. It's interesting, interesting you say that, especially because we also saw in other meat packing related news that the Department of Justice is working to further the probe into kind of the big four meat packers, Tyson, JBS, Cargill, and National Beef. This is, of course, on the heels of yesterday's announcement with the four poultry executives that have been, uh, what's the word, I'm not subpoenaed, investigated, indicted. indicted thank you. I was drawing a blank. But uh, so so yesterday into today, they have released a statement. The Department of Justice said that they are furthering the investigation into the so-called big four. Um, they don't really say what they're doing to in further investigate other than they're seeking more information from those beef packers. So I guess we could see them subpoena information from the big four. Um, but it Sounds like this is going to be an ongoing process here. And uh, President Trump has been very actively responding and supporting this move, probing into the big four beef packers. Yeah, has he really? Do you have any? uh, I mean, have you heard statements from him or anything? Yeah, he did say he did. He did say a statement here just a few weeks ago. He said, I will ask them to take a very serious look into it because it shouldn't be happening that way. And we want to protect our farmers but they're looking into it very strongly, referencing what the Department of Justice and USDA were doing. All right. Well, we'll just have to keep an eye on that because we have seen these investigations. They take time. Mm-hmm. But as in the case of chicken, you know, sometimes things get done. Sometimes they do. Well, we also have more news out of the story we talked about yesterday. And Ashton and I have an interview coming later today with a seed sales folks down in Texas talking about, well, we talked about it briefly in the interview, the dicamba issue, the uh, the restrictions on the use of dicamba that were put in place by the Ninth Circuit Court yesterday, ruling against the EPA and their certification of dicamba herbicides for use during the growing season, most predominantly extendamax herbicide. You know, it's not 
They're not taking out all dicamba herbicides. They're looking specifically at those that are being used during the growing season. Well, Bayer came out and they have responded. It's kind of a legally written response, so not a whole lot in it. But they say, quote, depending upon actions by the EPA and whether the ruling is successfully challenged, we will work quickly to minimize any impact on our customers this season. Bayer is very concerned about all the customers that have stockpiled dicamba as they prep to get out there for in-season spraying on their dicamba-tolerant soybean and cotton crops. And of course, per the ruling, at least the way it sounds from Bayer and some of the other sources I've been reading, you are not allowed to spray that uh, dicamba-based herbicide Mm. in-season any longer. So that, you know, a lot of folks have already spent that hard-earned cash and uh, it could cost Bayer upwards of $34 million if they have to refund growers for all of the uh, product they've already purchased. We also had a statement out from Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue. He came out against the ruling. He said it was unfair for farmers who had already purchased dicamba products for this current soy growing season. And he said, quote, farmers across America have spent hard-earned money on previously allowed crop protection tools. I encourage the EPA to use any available flexibilities to allow the continued use of already purchased dicamba products. So it sounds like the push from the administration will be to grandfather in this year's, um, basically the pre-purchased Extendamax or, uh, you know, geez, I'm forgetting the other brand names, these dicamba herbicides that can be used. Yeah. Ingenia, Anilis beans, yeah, all that sort of stuff um, this year. But as of now, that is not being allowed. EPA is expected to challenge this ruling from the Ninth Circuit Court. All right. Well, okay. Are you guys ready for this? I've got some Friday news because I hope you're celebrating today's National Donut Day. Oh, I have not celebrated it yet, but I shall. Okay. I celebrated it this this morning. Good for you, Delaney. What's the news? Just the donuts. I just wanted to throw that in there because it's oh, funny. Oh, and it's Friday. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Get out there and support the uh, <laughs> donut producers. <laughs> There's not really, a, I mean, I guess wheat or I don't know, sugar, whatever. Sure. I, I just want to eat throw it. That farmers in there. grow it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Ashley, do you have other headlines you're keeping an eye on today? I don't, but I will add to Delaney's National Day announcement, I guess. But June is National Dairy Month, so we've got to celebrate that while we can and support our dairy farmers. Absolutely. And that is a great segue into my final piece of news. This is coming from the USDA. They have made some changes to their dairy revenue protection program. Um, This is a press release they put out earlier today. They held a meeting with the Federal Crop Insurance Corporation Board of Directors and basically kind of made some modifications and some tweaks. Uh, USDA says because of COVID-19, they authorized approved insurance providers to extend the correction time for acreage reports or other forms. They're extending the deadlines for payment of premiums and administrative fees, and they're deferring the resulting accrual of interest. This week, they're making the announcements that they are changing the DRP, Dairy Revenue Program. Basically, let me see, last year it was covering 7% to 25% of all U.S. milk program. What is the change? Gosh, I just lost it. Ah, um, I guess that's the change. Um, yeah, okay, not, not a greatly written press release. I apologize, everybody. I had all this thing highlighted out, and I've lost my highlighted things. Um, Since last year, the DRP has grown from covering roughly 7% of total U.S. milk production to covering 25% of milk production in this country. So more folks are using the DRP, which over this last year certainly makes sense given the low prices we had been seeing in 
dairy markets. All right. Well, talking about markets, I had just one other piece of market news here. Looking again at soybean sales, we saw export sales of 258,000 metric tons of soybeans to deliveries of unknown destinations. Cough, China, cough. Right. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Great news. And, you know, we definitely saw beans stay in the green a little bit. Uh, not nearly as exciting as yesterday's rally, but holding through those technical resistance levels we've been talking about all week. Delaney, what do you think? Should we jump into the markets? Let's do it. All right, folks. And we've got corn higher, beans mixed to higher, and wheat oof, lower on the day, but again, staying in yesterday's range. So perhaps long term, positive move in wheat. July corn up two and a quarter cents at 331 and a quarter. December contract up two and a half, closed at 345 and a quarter. July soybeans unchanged on the day, closed at 867 and three quarters. November new crop up two and three quarter cents to finish at 879 and a half. Over in Chicago wheat, the July was down eight and a half cents, closed at 515 and a quarter. December new crop down six and a quarter, closed at 530 and a half. Sadly, for our livestock producers, I would have expected an explosive day in the stock market to translate to gains in live cattle as more folks have more money. Probably they're going to go buy some beef. We didn't see that happen today. We're not getting a lot of direction in the cash trade out in the countryside. Cash trades have been steady around 117, not really giving the market a whole lot of direction, and cattle sold off today. August live cattle down a dollar seventy five at ninety six seventeen and a half. The October down a dollar fifty seven fifty at ninety nine thirty. Feeder cattle also a little weaker on the day. The August contract down fifty five cents at one thirty four seventeen and a half. The September down a dollar oh two fifty at one thirty five forty seven half. We do have some positive momentum in the lean hog markets. July up thirty five cents at fifty three ninety two and a half. The August up a dollar fifty seven fifty to close the day at fifty seven. 35. All right. Well, that is the markets for the day. I know you livestock producers could use a chuckle. And actually, before we jump into our chuckle for the day, let's at dairy prices. Class three milk, June down 36 cents at 1985. The July down 31 at 1868. But dairy farmers are still finding a way to laugh. Here's one from our good friend, Tim, the dairy farmer. I'm not going to lie, as a farm kid, I dreaded when school was out for the summer. I failed algebra three times on purpose just so I could stay in summer school. You think algebra was hard? Try sorting calves in three foot deep mud while wearing rubber boots that were four sizes too big because that's just how hand-me-downs fit. Once one boot got pulled off in the mud, it wasn't long before the other one disappeared to China. Next thing I know, I'm sorting calves in my socks and baling hay. I've never met the man that invented the round roll baler, but that man should win a Nobel Prize. The rest of us got to spend our summers picking up square bales and stacking them on trailers. Sounds easy, I know. The phrase, make hay while the sun is shining, means that before you can pick up the first bale, the temperature has to be 107 with a 200% humidity. Adults weren't allowed to pick up these bales, they had to drive the wagon. That way they could yell at you for not picking up the bales fast enough for stacking them right. And that, my friends, is why I hate hay rides. And kids, I'm in no way advocating for you to fail out algebra but you'll never use it unless you're trying to figure out why your doctor's office scale is higher than the one in your bathroom hey this is tim the dairy farmer to hear more about me go to timthedairyfarmer.com i hope y'all are safe and keep milking it well thanks tim for that chuckle a lot of folks are getting out there still making the world turn during covid19 that's 
no different. For seed sellers, let's head down to Texas and see how some folks have been adapting over this challenging period. Today on the podcast, we have John and Jace Browning. They're a father-son duo coming out of Plainview, Texas, and they are a part of Browning Seed Incorporated. Thank you guys for taking the time out of your day to talk to us a little bit today. Thanks, Ashton. Ashton, we sure appreciate it. Yes, we're glad to be here. Alrighty, so why don't you give us a 10,000-foot view of what Browning Seed is? Okay, Browning Seed is a family-owned seed company established by my father and grandfather. So we're third and fourth generation in the business. Um, uh, my dad and my granddad were the originators of the three-way cross in the sorghum and forage sorghum business. Uh, and uh, we're real proud of that heritage. Uh, we originally started out in the potato and onion business. Um, however, that, that didn't pan out in uh as a long-term viable business for our family, and we found a, a niche in the seed industry. So, Jace, I want to ask you a question for our listeners who are outside of Texas. You guys are based in Plainview, Texas. Let us know what is that area, where in Texas is Plainview, and what kind of agriculture is supported there in your uh, in your neighborhood? Out here in Plainview, Texas, it's real flat, <laughs> and we're right be- smack dab in the middle between Amarillo and Lubbock, Texas. And, you know, majority of the crops that are grown here are going to be cotton, uh, cover crops. We've got a lot of wheat and oats and rye around. And then we there's a lot of sorghum in our area as well. And so those are the kind of key components to what makes up of our farming area. I have talked to Jace a little bit um, since COVID-19 has happened, and I know he's kind of been running around for browning seed and doing all sorts of stuff. So why don't you guys tell us kind of how COVID-19 has affected the business? Well, we did not shut down except for our our front office. We let the uh, front office off for about a week, and uh, then we... we left our salesman at home and then brought the, the key components of the front office back home uh, to work interiorly. There's five of us uh, in the front office. Uh, so we've got our logistics manager, Kenzie Browning, uh, Valerie, who is our export coordinator and our, um, uh, our lead in, in, in that particular area. And then, uh, of course, my wife, Alicia Browning, and Jace's mom, she's our, our uh, CFO. And so uh, we, kept the, we kept it real small in the front office and, and just uh, kept the production line in the warehouse going. Uh, we had a lot of people that, that were missing because we were cautious. And uh, anybody that felt ill or thought that they might have been exposed stayed home. And we we just filled in the gaps. And uh, even Jason and I got on the production line some to, to keep the bagging line going and to keep production going in, out of the warehouse area. So uh, behind right now, but we're still chugging along. Yeah. And uh, I want to add this. Uh, this uh, whole pandemic kind of hit us right in the middle of our busy season. And so this is the season where we're shipping the most and we're cleaning the most seed and trying to take care of our customers. And it was 
been kind of difficult to keep that going. Well, I imagine it would be. And especially this year, I want to focus just for a second on the sorghum side of your business. I know that's uh, that's something you guys are really proud of. And in that part of the world, we saw sorghum just as COVID was catching on. Prices were spiking. We had a positive basis in the sorghum market. Did you see a big surge of growers looking to seed sorghum this year? Or are most of the folks in that part of the country on a pretty strict rotation? Well, and, you know, uh, one of my good customers that buys uh, a lot of grain sorghum from me, Barry Epic Cress, he he said, I'm staying with my rotation. I'm not changing a thing. And, and, you know, he stayed with his cotton, sorghum and wheat rotation. And, and, uh, and, and I think for the most part, a lot of people that have that specific rotation, we did see some, some movement, uh, away from cotton, uh, in some, some instances, uh, I think in the grain area up in Kansas and in these stress water stress, we're seeing some, some changes. The, Biggest change that I saw uh, was down in that Abilene, Texas area. We saw a lot more forages and permanent grasses going in in that region. And uh, uh, we, we believe that, you know, to be a really big cotton area. And, and I think that uh, that's going to affect them long term because permanent grasses were a big, big thing going in down there. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked a little bit before our call about dicamba and with that ruling coming out just yesterday, we reported a little bit of news on it. So why don't you kind of help us with a little follow up and talk us through what that dicamba ruling means to you? We don't sell much cottonseed with the uh, with the dicamba genetics in it, but we do sell corn seed that has some technology in it. And so we're not as affected as as some of the some of the other dealers in the business. Um, we do believe that that uh, farming is a technological industry and, and uh, we are devastated for the American farmer that they have made such a great investment in their time and their equipment uh, and that a court would find a ruling uh, out there that would that would detrimentally affect every potential farmer that has invested in that technology over the past several years. And, uh, you know, uh, they've invested in spray nozzles, uh, uh, inversion technology, weather equipment on their tractors, uh, all of these different aspects from the smallest nozzle on a spray rig to the, to the time in an office to, to understand the technology and the rules and regulations that, that go with spraying these chemicals. Uh, you know, every, every technology has its own set of problems, just like every, it has its solutions. But man, has is this going to be a, a, a setback? With all the changes and everything that's going on within the agriculture industry right now and all the advancements, setbacks, what have you, where do you see Browning Seed going and the future of your company and your breeding program for that matter? Well, I can tell you from our perspective, uh, in 2013, we restarted our parent breeding program. We had outsourced those that breeding to uh, an outside company that was absorbed by a uh, by a foreign owned company, uh, 
and uh, literally they they took out our 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 ability to buy parent seed to continue our hybrid production, and so we had to start over in 2013. And so for the last seven years, we have been uh, rebuilding our parental line. We literally went to the freezer and pulled out our old genetics and started the breeding program again. So we're one of the last eight sorghum seed companies in the United States that actually has a breeding program going forward. Now, uh, we're a little bit behind the curve, quite frankly, because we're doing traditional breeding methods where uh, we've got CRISPR technology and some of these other genetic uh, abilities to, to select from. Um, but as that technology and as the genetic uh, profiling becomes available to us, we're going to outsource that to those genetic companies to help us pick our, our better hybrids. Um, what we're finding in the testing that we're doing at the university levels and so forth is that uh, you know, we're doing some things that are different than than the trends that have some yield advantages. And uh, but as consolidation continues to go, there's only four or five little companies that have a breeding program that are not corporately owned. And so it is going to be more and more difficult to continue the breeding program without getting in the technology game. Um and so we find some challenges, but we find some niches as well as we move forward in, in what we're trying to accomplish. We've got a great team in our breeding program. Uh, Robbie Benton, who's been, uh, you know, in prior years with uh, Mycogen and uh, formerly Chromatin. Uh, and, and then we've got Rodney Smith, who is with uh, – uh, Cargill and then Mycogen and then and now us and so we're really proud to have those core uh, breeding team members on our uh, in our program so you know it's it's a neat neat thing that we're doing and if you get a chance come out and look man we've got some August is when when everything's in full bloom we'd love to have you out and, and show you what we're trying to accomplish. I, I'll probably make a trip out there myself here in a couple of weeks, but I just have one more question before I let you guys go. For our listeners that want to keep up with Browning Seed or if they have any questions or anything, how can they get in touch with you guys? All right, Jace, you, you're the technology guy. Well, um, right now we have a website called browningseed.com. It has most of our information on it. And then you can also call us at 806-293-5271, and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. I might add to that on our website, we've got a Twitter feed and a Facebook feed, and it occasionally we'll highlight some of the things that we uh, we have to offer. Um, and uh, we're going to be enhancing that as we go through the, the summer months with some of the the different grasses and legumes and different products that we have that we can offer. We're prescription blending cover crop seed for folks. Uh, we're importing seed from India and Australia and, and uh, Central America that can't be grown in America efficiently like Lab Lab or commonly known as Velvet Bean. Uh, that's a tropical legume that puts a lot of nitrogen in the soil. And we just don't have 180 days of growing season in America to, to get that seed produced. And so some of those specialty items uh, that are in demand 
we work with those. And so we're going to be highlighting those on our Twitter feed and our, and our Facebook feed. And uh, if you want to follow me, I've got a, I've got a Twitter feed seed commander on Twitter, seed commander one, I think's what it, what it is, but uh, we're real proud of what we're doing and we're going to highlight some of those, those opportunities. Very cool folks. Check them out. Independent seed producers bringing genetics to this country. John and Jace, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Fascinating story. We wish you guys the absolute best in the years ahead. Hey, thanks for including us in your podcast. What an honor and a, a neat experience. This is my first podcast, so uh, what a neat what a neat deal. I really appreciate you inviting us to be on. Hey guys, when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper, which has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in the state of Iowa. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is essentially an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals like you on the go with the stories that matter most. In this week's podcast episode, I'm very excited because we take on the question that is absolutely top of mind right now for livestock farmers. As meat processing plants struggle to keep up with farmer demand, where can farmers turn to market their livestock? For answers, we turn to Terry Kearns, who's the co-owner of Eastern Iowa's popular Edgewood Locker, and Dr. Katherine Polking, who is the Bureau Chief for the Iowa Department of Agriculture's Meat and Poultry Inspection Bureau. You can find and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app, or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. And again, that was John and Jace Browning of Browning Seed Incorporated out in Plainview, Texas. And so I'm very excited to go down there in August, hopefully, when everything is in full bloom and kind of get a little bit of behind the scenes action on what's going on over there. And you can keep up with them at browningseed.com, where they also have their Facebook and Twitter feed. We can also follow Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and also Instagram. So you should be doing so following us at Ag News Daily if you're not yet, because Ashton is doing a fantastic job this summer posting videos, pictures, photos, news, and all sorts of things you just don't want to miss out on. No doubt, no doubt, folks. Check that out. We want to wish you all a fantastic weekend. And with that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.